Welcome back to the flip side. Ladies and gentlemen, Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. We are fully ensconced in the month of December. We are rapidly winding down this season of podcasts. And Brian, you are rapidly getting buried under large amounts of frozen precipitation, or Not, you are about to. We, we are about to. It's actually just kind of drizzly rainy tonight, but there, but we've got a major, major lake effect uh, incident happening. Starting, it, It's one of those lake effect warnings up here that starts Thursday at 6 a.m. and goes to like 6 a.m. Saturday with like scattered bands of snow coming off of both Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. So it's just, it, it, it's, it's all a matter of, of timing and where you are. But um, I don't know how much we're supposed to get here where I actually live, but where I teach, we're looking at one to two feet between Thursday and Friday. So solid end to the semester for us. But, um, you know, you make do, you make do with what you got. And um, more importantly, we got our Christmas tree tonight. So we're, so we're fully in the festive spirit and, uh, and, uh, and, and ready to roll. Are you guys a real tree household or a fake tree household? Well, and you have a tree household. Well, and you have a pu- oh, sorry, I saw the tree. And you have a puppy, puppy, and a toddler. So you've got like, yeah. you've got double. You, all you need is a cat batting stuff around, and you'll have like the holy trinity of tree fail. Yeah, and my philosophy. Well, we had we had real trees all growing up. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, we had a real tree. Uh, Katie's parents had a real tree. Yeah, you know. But then when you're when you're living on your own or when you're, you know, you're in apartments or when it's, you know, you just get married and it's just you and and your significant other, uh, you know, at least for me getting a real tree and bringing it in, I'm almost to the point where I haven't done it in so long. I think the last real tree I was, uh, I assisted in bringing in was probably, was probably maybe it was like 14 years ago, 13 years ago. Wow. And, um, I have to say, I think about it, and I always, I always think about, okay, if I'm, if, if I'm an alien race, or if I'm, a, or maybe I'm not an entire alien race, if I'm a member of an alien race that's observing the Earth, mm-hmm. and I'm reporting back to my superiors, mm-hmm. and they're asking me, what is Earth like? Like, what are the people like? And I say, well, there's this one time of year where a certain part of the the world's population goes out and cuts down a living thing, brings it into their house, and it stays there for approximately a month, and then they bring it out and they dispose of it, and they don't seem to do anything with it while it's inside. I would I would look at that behavior as being a little bit odd, I guess, okay. if I had no clue about the social cues that went into it. And okay. so I, I, I do wonder, I mean, we'll, we'll almost certainly get like a real tree when when uh, our daughter is is old enough to really kind of get fully into the Christmas spirit, but it's something that I I, I struggle with a little bit from a mental perspective about like why why would I do this in the first place like okay. what what am I gaining by having the the real tree in the house? Okay, a couple a couple ways to unpack this. First of all, you are aware of the social social cues, so I don't know why where the alien thing comes from. B, I'm wondering why of all the things the that you as an alien spy reporting back to your uh, alien overlords are reporting on its Christmas behavior. But third, isn't it also wouldn't it also be stranger in your report to your alien overlords that yes we bring in the real tree and you don't do anything it for your, this year, but also half of the population that does this buys a plastic replica of a perfectly fine real tree, keeps it packed up in a box and puts it together every year at the same time and does does nothing and it does nothing but stand there that seems less wasteful though uh, so that so so it's all about so so it's a waste I mean from thing? A, from an ecological perspective it just seems weird that you would go kill a living thing bring it into your house and then dispose of it uh, a month later when you could get by with just having a replica uh, in your house doing basically the exact same thing cuz you're not really interacting with the tree while it's in i mean you hang things on it right. initially right but you don't like you don't go talk to it you you don't you know you don't do anything to it other than just look at it christmas has so, got to be a hoot in your house i can't wait till our <laughs> christmas preview next week oh my goodness <laughs> Just asking questions. Here, uh, so know? no, we are we are a real tree house. So it was wonderful. We went there's a greenhouse, uh, f- uh, floral outdoor like bush floral place right by our house, and we went in, 
and uh, they have the whole greenhouse is Christmas trees, like wall to wall. You walk in, it's just that awesome pine tree scent, like right, like the the reason why they make pine sol is for the the the, the great smell of it. And we did, we got the real tree. We got a nice six and a half foot Douglas fir, nice soft needles, um, good size, good build on it. Um, really, really happy for it. I was never a fan of the artificial tree because I mean, I think a lot of it too was we moved, we had a stretch where we moved a lot where we moved from house to townhouse and then town, uh, and then townhouse to another house and it was just that's a big box to lug around every year. So, I was so I'm a I'm a real tree guy and I'm a big fan of the real tree. So, and I think it, it it captures the festivity of this of the season in a way that is, you know, festive. So, that's fair. I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks. I, mm-hmm. I like I said, I'm not writing off the idea of having a a, a, a a real tree in the near future or anything like mm-hmm. that. Just not having one for as long as I've not had one right. has caused me to ponder. Now, have you had the, have you had the same fake tree for 13 to 14 years, or have you kind of gone through that? Um, no. I've, uh, to be honest, I didn't even have a fake tree for a few of those years when I was living totally by myself. I, I thought that it was kind of superfluous. Um, but, uh, but Katie had a fake tree and, uh, we've used that one and she's had that tree for how long? Six years. It's been longer than that. Uh, eight years. So it's been about eight or nine years and we've used that same tree every year. Okay. Okay. That's a good, that's a good lifespan for the tree. So, um, yeah. so today we are, well, we can do more Christmas talk in our season three finale next week, but, uh, we have a, we decided to do, go with a sports theme, uh, today, including what we, uh, the, the kind of one of the overall themes we have going today is fixing things that are broken in sports. Um, and so we have some, uh, some topics we came up with, some topics from, uh, from listeners, um, or non-listeners and just people who saw us on Facebook and Twitter today. Um, and if there's anything else that you wanted to bring up to fix that we hadn't mentioned before, aside from our two, well, I have the um, uh, the most iconic beer in New York State as voted by something, something, something or other uh, website, online publication that does words. Um, Genesee Cream Ale. Uh, mm. brewed and brewed in Rochester, New York, where I live or the area in which I live. It was my grandfather's beer of choice for, um, many, many years before he passed. And, um, I will be mocked endlessly by a lot of people listening to this podcast for, for drinking Jenny cream ale. It is a, a very inexpensive beer up here. It's kind of like, the, you know, you're always your first beer or one of your first beers as a Western New Yorker. And I never used to like it that much. Um, I used to make fun of it. And then my wife and I, a few years ago, we went to the, I'm sure I've told the story on this podcast before, but we went to the uh, Jenny Brewery. They have a brew pub and a, and the brewery there. And they, they're starting to brew like small batch craft beer stuff. And, uh, we did a tasting. <laughs> we, and we did it, and we did a tasting. They're doing, they have like a salted chocolate caramel porter, which is outstanding. Other seasonal type, more kind of fancy beers along with the cream, along with kind of their standards. And I went with, and I said, oh, I'm gonna get the cream ale. That's my grandpa's beer. How bad can it be? We're at the, you're, we're, when, when in Rochester, you drink a Jenny. And we, and he got it and drank. I'm like, wait, this isn't bad. And drank, well, this is pretty good. And for an inexpensive beer, we were going to a friend's house for, for dinner, and we were going to get the craft beer, and we were going to get, like, the $10 six-pack or something. And then we look over, and there's there's the 30-pack uh, of Jenny Cream Ale for fifteen ninety nine, And he said, you know what? We're going to do a little value shopping on this. So um, I recommend it. I'm, I've become a big fan of Cream Ales lately, and so it's a, it's a, good, it's a solid recommendation I would make. No, I, I will check that out next time I'm in the area, uh, which is often. Um, what do you? So, so you are are uh, 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 are you still on the low carb, no beer portion I'm of the diet? Still on the no beer, low carb portion of the diet. Okay. But, uh, having having a, a rather nice red wine tonight. Actually, right. this is this is uh, the Valoroso Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a it's a Portuguese cab, okay. which. I've never had before, and it's actually, as my wife pointed out, it, it has um, some some Chianti overtones Ooh, to it, or, nice. or undertones, or whatever. So yeah, it's a nice, nice mellow thing. Uh, but it's got it, it. It's funny because you know, red wine to me, uh, there's a lot of different types of red wine. They have a lot of different characteristics. This very much tastes like a 
a winter wine. And, okay. And it certainly matches the rapidly deteriorating weather conditions that we've got outside here right now. Uh, the, the Chianti, I have always thought, is, the, is kind of an overlooked wine a lot in a lot of in a lot of instances these days, uh, especially on the a, a red Chianti can be really nice. You know, a Merlot is very popular. You know, Merlot is overpopular. The Malbec, which was one of my wife's favorites, um, was kind of a sleeper for a while, became pop, kind of, kind of became the, the, almost the flank steak of wine where it was really well known. It, it was kind of like a hidden gem and then became really popular. Um, but I think the Chianti is always a good solid pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, all of these red wines are kind of going through various popularity cycles. You know, so you're right, Malbec's having its day in the sun after, frankly, not, like being a complete afterthought for most of the 90s and 2000s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, somebody else's ship will come in after that, like it'll be Tempranillo or right. or Rioja or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, after that. So no, but the Chianti is a good solid one, but the cat, you know, Cabernet Cap Sauvignon yeah. is, is certainly, it's certainly been a positive wine to drink. I've enjoyed the glass that I've had so far while this podcast has been going on. Absolutely. So we will, so we were talking about things in sports that we were going to fix. Um, and, uh, we had two, well, I had two that we can't. We kind of came up with coming off of some Twitter conversations we had, um, over the weekend. Um, and I'm interested in, in your opinion on both of them, but especially the, the first one. Um, and that is, I mean, you know, the, the hook is how do we fix the college football playoff? But that, of course, assumes it needs fixing. And just kind of get your thoughts on this year's selection, the process, the, the, the idea of conference championships, any of the issues we, we have. And I'm interested in your take for two reasons. One, you're a Big Ten guy, and obviously the Big Ten's kind of at the epicenter of all the, 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 the kind of controversy and the, and the talk about this year. And two, I'm a complete college football agnostic. You know, I grew up in a town where there was no Division One football when I was a kid. UB, University of Buffalo, wasn't D1 when I was growing up. I went to St. Bonaventure, you know, undefeated in, since 1951. Um, and once again, looked overlooked by the committee. But, um, <laughs> but, and then I did my grad school at Syracuse, and Syracuse football is... You know, so um, so I've never I, I, I didn't grow up really following or, or enmeshed in college football. I appreciate it. I'm not a fan of it. So I'm very much at a distance on it. But as someone who's kind of more in, in involved in college football, I'm interested in your opinion and your take on the playoff situation. Well, you know, the thing about the playoff situation in college football and the thing about college football as a whole is that it's not logical. It doesn't follow a logical set of thought processes to get from point A to point B in almost anything that it does. And it's because um, if if there's a mom-and-pop industry in, in sports still today, it is college football. Like, okay. there's just no, there's no real centralized organizing principle other than make money. And and that's that's not a particularly great organizing principle when you're trying to do something logical. Um, so a lot of the complaints about college football, you know, I mean, they originally it was, oh, we don't want a playoff because you know we you know we want every game to count. Well, don't want to devalue the regular season, right? That's the don't thing. devalue the regular season. Those games won't won't matter anymore. And of course, anybody with a brain knew that was bullshit, but. There's enough people out there who don't have brains yet who have <laughs> responsible jobs in the media, as fans, in, in business, that uh, they allowed emotion to get the best of them. Now we have a four-team playoff, and, are, and, and these same people are alternatively saying, oh, you know, th- this, this, um, this is something that you know, we shouldn't expand, but, they're, but they also have all these weird conditions that preclude the best teams from being selected for said playoff because frankly with four teams uh, you know there, there's going to be a lot of question marks about okay what are the actual criteria you should use and so that's that's kind of the the basis i guess i'm i'm not an agnostic i'm a i'm a heretic of college okay. football and, and i come at that honestly because okay you grew up in an area without any college football I grew up in an area with IU football, which is probably worse than having no football because um, 
I come in with no real allegiance to any sort of old order. Uh, you know, I, I am, I am to some degree, uh, I wouldn't say I'm dedicated to up, up, uh, to upending the old order because I don't really care that much, but I look at it and I say very little about this makes sense. And it's mostly there to make a very small number of people money. So if I am in my, you know, in my evaluation of things, if I'm looking at it, I'm saying to myself, well, okay, what I think is that this is a better system than we had before, and it could be better still. You could actually keep it at four teams relatively easily, but you have to let go of this idea that got floated so much during the last couple of weeks that somehow winning a conference championship game somehow automatically means that you're one of the best teams in football. Mm -hmm. Um, It just doesn't really work that way for a whole number of reasons that I'd be happy to get into. Um, But, you know, the... The, the the ultimate reason you have a committee of people rather than a group of computers looking at the college football playoff is that you want to pick the best teams, not necessarily the teams that had the best record or not necessarily the teams that won their their division or their conference, but you want to pick the best teams. And I feel like there's still a tremendous amount of resistance to that because people are still caught up in this idea that we have to judge com- just solely on wins and losses and on the old way of judging wins and losses, which is basically did the win or the loss happen early in the season, uh, early enough that a team can can salvage its reputation, um, you know, as opposed to losing late in the season. So there's all kinds of little things like that that I find very frustrating about it. And I guess, you know, as I, as I look to, you know, to the pundits, hopefully for good ideas about how to fix it. I, I see very few of those because most of the people talking about college football are college football people right. who frankly are so far into their own mythology that sometimes I question whether they even have the capacity to fully understand the, the you know, how detached from reality college football's judging of itself often is. I mean, I, I, that, that, that's a good point, and, you know, we can get into the fixing question in a second, but, I, but you know, you mentioned about the conference championships, and um, so, so, you know, tee up the ball and I'll let you go on it, but, um, you know, j- just the, the bad take to set you up. I don't actually believe this, but I'm going to say the bad take just to, like, let, let you get your grip on your club and maybe check the win before you, before you hit your tee shot. Is that um, like a, like if you don't have a conference champion, a the conference championships should mean something because they have it, and b if you don't care about conference championships, why have conferences to begin with? So okay. why well, why why are conference why do, why shouldn't Penn State? Okay, we'll bring it into the reality. Why shouldn't Penn State winning the the Big Ten title last week uh, or or over the weekend? Count for count when Ohio State didn't make the its own conference championship game. Why? Should, there you go. There you go. It took me a while to get there. Why should Ohio State be able to play for the national championship when it couldn't play for its own conference championship? There you go. Tee, tee it off. There's 14 teams in the Big Ten. Penn State played nine of them. They lost one of those games by 39 points. Every statistical measure showed them uh, overall as being not that uh, they, they they weren't overwhelmingly a better team. Uh, you know, I think that the conference championships that they're a contrivance. I mean, they're a contr- look. You ask why do we have the conferences? Well, look, we have the conferences because ultimately. Uh, we need them for non for non football reasons. We need them for business reasons. We need conglomerations of team brands that can sell themselves as advertising packages to companies that want to make money off of the people that watch those teams. That's that's why they're there. Um, you know, certainly some conferences. I mean, the Big Ten's always been way up its own behind on this idea that it exists for reasons far beyond athletics. And maybe at one point that was true, but when you're adding Rutgers uh, or when you're adding Nebraska, who's, who's not even an AAU member uh, that that's, that's pretty much, uh, you know, laid bare for what it is, which is a naked cash grab. And I'm fine. Look, I, I, you know, a lot of times people misinterpret me when I talk about this stuff. I love naked cash grabs. I, I love honesty <laughs> when it comes. I love honesty in sport. I love honesty with finance. I think that it's it's what makes the world go round. What I hate is uh, naked cash grabs dressed up as some kind of uh, principled 
stand against X, Y, or Z. I mean, to me, that's, well, then, that's the ultimate in bullshit. Well, then it wouldn't be a naked cash grab if it's dressed up as something else. Well, no, it can still be a cash grab. <laughs> no, but it wouldn't be a, something else. It wouldn't I mean, be a naked I mean, cash grab. It's, 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 yeah, it's not naked. It's a clothed cash grab. Right. Um, I think that's 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 the thing. So look, I, I I look at the conference championship. You know, we've had in the Big Ten over 115 years worth of of conference champions, and up until four years ago. It was settled by who the best team was uh, in the aggregate record that they played during the conference season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to go off of that, Ohio State and Penn State tied for the regular season title. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so the, you know, the, the conference championship game to me doesn't mean a whole lot. And it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people in the conference, except for the people that are playing in it. Um, but I don't think anybody in the conference looked at Penn State or Wisconsin, and said those are unquestionably the best two teams in the conference, and no, nobody did except for the, except for fans of those teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the idea that this is some kind of of unquestioned crowning of a team, and that that should somehow lead to preferential treatment in the subjective judgment of who the best teams in the country are, to me that's that's faulty logic. I mean, it, the, you know, just because we say that. You know, candidate X won the election. Uh, you know, even though they got two and a half million fewer, uh, you know, popular votes. I mean, you know, a lot of people look at that and say, "Well, that's okay." They may have technically won the election via the electoral college, but mm-hmm. you know, the number of people that voted for them, there's an actual difference there. The people that you know, if you're taking it, you, you know what I mean, by right? This. I mean, this idea, this idea that what gets recognized. And what the actual sentiment is are two very different things. Mm-hmm. And from a qualitative perspective, I've always felt that, you know, in college basketball, um, let's say, you know, a team wins the Big East now, um, that doesn't mean that they're entitled to a certain seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a team wins the Big Ten, it doesn't mean they're entitled to a certain seed. We've had seasons where the Big Ten, which is normally one of the best basketball conferences in the country, has had their champion get a three seed right. in the tournament. They're the best team, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in basketball again, um, does anybody give a crap about who wins the Atlantic 10 regular season title? Mm-hmm. I mean, the NIT, the NIT cares. Right. But if, if that team has an average RPI and some team walks into the conference tournament and wins that and goes to the, uh, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're the one that are going to go that doesn't mean that they were the best team mm-hmm. um and so there's contrivances all around here with this stuff and in football the idea is simply pick the best four teams mm-hmm. and to me i don't think penn state was one of the best four teams um and and the idea that they deserved to be there or the idea that say clemson who i wasn't terribly impressed with deserved to be in the championship game simply because they won the acc title mm-hmm. um i mean they're there's no Big 12 team in the playoff. I mean, they had a team win their conference title. What do we right. do about that? Right. And there's two two kind of arguments that I made that 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 I found very compelling on this. And like I said, I'm an agnostic. I uh, I have no problem with the four teams they picked from what you know the headlines I follow on college football. They all this seem to be four very good teams, and it's Alabama and everybody else, and that's kind of how. It's Alabama and the Big Ten, basically, this year. So I'm okay with that. Um, the, the, the idea that to kind of, uh, again, the anti-Penn State argument that was very compelling was that if Florida had beaten Alabama in the SEC title game, would you have argued that Florida and not Alabama should have gone to the national championship game? And I don't think anybody would have seriously made that argument. So that's where kind of the Penn State argument falls down. I, I do wonder in a weird way if, the Penn State was really a bad a bad messenger for this because of everything that happened there. And yeah, it was five years ago, and it's a new team, and it's a new new coaching staff, new players, not at all involved in Paterno and Sandusky. But it's kind of hard to muster a lot of sympathy for Penn State in football these days. So, so I don't think that I don't necessarily think that hurt really hurt them. But just as an outsider watching it, I'm like. Yeah, I can't feel bad for Penn State football because I can't feel bad. Like, if this were Wisconsin, all right, well, maybe, you know, if Wisconsin was in the place, maybe that's different. But Penn State's such an imperfect 
uh, imperfect program. I mean, they're all imperfect, but it's such a, you can't be sympathetic to Penn State getting screwed over here because, you know, of the thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that's, but I, and, and I wasn't even really thinking along the lines of Penn State. You know, to me, it's just the illogic of the arguments that I hear in college football about who deserves to be in the playoff versus who doesn't. And this idea that somehow conference championships matter when we really don't have a clear definition of what a conference championship is. I mean, different conferences decide them in different ways. Right. Uh, Every team, every team is playing a different number of conference opponents, depending on the conference conference that you're in mm-hmm. uh, and and ultimately what you end up with is these vague criteria that only go to support the individual arguments of the people making the arguments and right. that, to me that's just dishonest and I don't like that and and, and, I, and look I go back to this idea that if you're going to have a committee of people whose job is to pick the best four teams or, or however many teams in college football, then damn it do that don't right. get caught up in well this this team deserves it because they did x well compare that to everybody else i mean you know and 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 if you can't compare the conferences as apples to apples right you know if 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 in a season like this where the acc sucked at football and the big 12 wasn't tremendously much better like a conference championship in either of those conferences frankly doesn't matter very much at all Mm -hmm. um you know so so the idea that conference championships should be uh uh, uh, any even like a even like an average criterion point i think is pretty pretty poor why not just look for the best teams and there's plenty of ways to do that we can use computers to look at margin of victory or the way that teams play Mm -hmm. we can look at um you know the quality of their opponents we can look at the quality of their opponents opponents we can look at the momentum they bring into the season i mean think about what what happens in the nfl every year which is you know a, a comparable sport since you know it's football um you know how many times do the number one overall seeds in the AFC C or the NFC go on to win the Super Bowl sometimes or you know or sometimes even make the Super Bowl right uh, you know I mean it's a lot of times the best team at the time is not necessarily going to be the team that's accrued the most things uh, and even the ones that have accrued the most things even when they're given advantages sometimes they get exposed because um, the they're not actually as good as another team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's a lot of things you can do here, and it's like uh, there's a lot of logical, heuristic ways of looking at football. We just seem to be taking the most the most retrograde approach possible right. and trying to figure this stuff out. And I think to me, it's one of the reasons why college football is as frustrating as it often is because it just seems so cronyistic and backwards in the way that it approaches right. this stuff. So how would you fix it? I mean, would you go to an 18 playoff, a 16 team playoff? Do you even think it needs to be fixed? I mean, I don't understand what's wrong with with multiple team playoffs. Like, you know, to me, division the FCS, Division 1 AA mm-hmm. has a 16 team playoff. I think Division 2 and Division 3 have 16 team playoffs. Right. Um, the only reason that Divi- that Division 1 FBS doesn't have that size playoff is because it is run by people for whom such a system would yield a level of financial control that they are not willing to do. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the only reason there's a playoff in the first place is that somebody finally convinced them that they could make more money off of that than the cockamamie BCS system that they set up 15 years ago. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, so I can say what I would do. Yeah, I would. I would make, you know, certainly... Certainly an 18-team playoff. I think a 16-team playoff would be fun. But the thing is, I wouldn't have automatic bids in a 16-team playoff. I would really? take the best 16 teams and have huh. them play. I don't I don't think you should just get – I mean, I even, you know, I think it's different with basketball. Because I think basketball, you have a big enough sample size and you have such – you have so many teams competing that – uh, it would be completely unruly if you were just trying to to select the best 64 or 65 teams rather than you're right. what you're really doing is selecting about the best 35 and then you're letting automatic bids from smaller conferences fill the rest but but i do think that in in football you know the the the, the economies of scale the way that they're set up and the way that the the sport is run 
really what it should be is a showcase of the very best teams. Um, you know, I'm, I'm even opposed in the NFL to giving automatic playoff bids to division winners. Like, well, I don't think I don't think anybody from the AFC South this year should get into the playoffs. Like, right. there's there's nothing. I would rather see. I mean, you know. The, the Steelers or the Ravens or somebody that's actually done things this right. year get in as opposed to the Colts or the Texans or the Titans. I think the only the only argument I would make on the NFL is because it's an unbalanced division schedule and you're playing two you're playing more games against your own division than than everyone else. So the, the because of that unbalanced because of that kind of unbalance in scheduling, I can I, I can see you you know you you have to be you kind of have to be rewarded for the uh, based on the especially in the NFL you have to be kind of rewarded and judged on the schedule that you play and if you play in a crappy division but go nine and seven and are the best team of that division I don't I have no problem with you winning that now I I don't know whether we reseed and that they should automatically be one of the top four seeds I don't know about that I I I I, I, I I would be I, I would be open to considering um, you qualify for the playoffs, but not ne- but not necessarily one of the top four seeds. Um, but I'm okay with it, with a division winner in football when it, getting getting a playoff berth. Um, but um, that kind of I guess seg- segues in. We should probably have a lot of listener qu- feedback to get to. Um, and it kind of segues into our next fixing question, which is I need help because the Buffalo Bills need to be fixed. And how the hell are we going to do that? It kind of dovetails in with uh, one of Matt Zimmerman's questions, so, so we can kind of answer that one first, because this is based on his Raiders uh, embarrassing the Bills Sunday, coming back from down 24-9 in the third quarter to win convincingly. Zimmerman, Matt Zimmerman asks, is there any team, NFL team more resilient than this, se- this season than those SOBs in silver and black? Um, and I, and I gotta, and, and I'll give him credit. Um, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He's had a long, long time in the football wilderness along with me. Um, and, uh, yeah. that, that's a really fun team to watch. Like when I was, when they were making the, the comeback on the Bills, it was frustrating to watch as a, as a Bills fan, but it was entertaining as heck to watch as a football fan. Like, uh, Derek Carr is for real. I like the, I like the way that they, 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 he throws the ball. I just like, I like a lot of the way. Uh, the Raiders play Oakland plays. I think they're a really, really fun team, um, and it's nice that it was nice. It was nice to have a fun team to watch in the NFL. So much of what we've talked about with the NFL this year is kind of how it's not fun or kind of blah or meh. And the Raiders are, seem fun. So, well, they're, they're fun because they don't have a defense. I mean, if you, you look at their, <laughs> that's true. They've allowed they've allowed two hundred ninety nine points so far this season and if you and it's interesting because if you look at the other playoff contenders in the NFL the only other teams that have allowed over 299 points that are still in serious contention for playoff berths are the Atlanta Falcons who are just a a I mean they are uh they are operating football while intoxicated like that team is, is just completely <laughs> yes. off their rocker right and the indianapolis colts who have a point differential of zero right now i mean it's it's um it's just i i, I find the raiders fascinating i really do mm-hmm. i don't know how they're going to translate into the the uh, uh the actual uh playoff format because mm-hmm. what what I worry about with the Raiders, okay, this is an out of nowhere season right. for them to some degree. I think everybody they were seven and nine reasonable. last. Yeah, they'd be good, but not right. I mean, the idea was that maybe they're a ten and six team, maybe yeah. they're a nine and seven team, maybe you know, maybe they bump up, and make a mini leap. Not not ten and two heading into the the final quarter of the season with the with right now the number one overall seed in the AFC. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I mean, they've they've done it with their offense has been really really good. Um, they've had to come back in some games. They've they've had big leads and then given them up in other games. I, I worry with teams like that. I remember very clearly the uh, the Colts in 1999. It was Peyton Manning's first really good year. Mm-hmm. They went 14 and two that season, and they they had a bye in the first round. And this was a team that two years earlier, hell, one year earlier had been. Three and thirteen. Two years earlier, it had been one and fifteen. That's what allowed them to draft Manning. Mm-hmm. And so they sit around for the first week of the playoffs and they wait for their eventual opponent. Do you know who that opponent was, Brian? Ninety-nine, the Colts. It was the opposite of the Bills Titans. 
Because yes, that was, it was. Um, so that would have been uh, Miami. No, no, no. It was no. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. It was the Titans. It was the Titans. That's the right. Titans. It would have been the Bills had not that had they correctly called the home run throw back a penalty. Correct. We go from yes. there. Okay. So, so okay. Yes, it was the it was the post Music City Miracle game, and it was it was and and the Colts in that playoff game did not know what to do. Right. They were completely flummoxed by this Titans team. And I and I just worry with the Raiders in the playoffs that what's going to happen is they're going to sit there and, you know, it's going to be, you know, like it's going to be Chiefs, Colts, and, mm-hmm. you know, like Broncos, Ravens. Right. And that's just smelling like and, an Eric Berry pick six, like two interceptions, including a pick six. Right game, but I'm not. And I'm, look, I'm not trying to throw, uh, you know, throw water on the Raiders' season. I think they've been a lot of fun. I think they've got a chance if they can, if they can uh, jump over that hurdle. I actually think they may, they have as good of a chance as any of those AFC West teams have of making it to the Super Bowl. Because right mm-hmm. now, New England doesn't look as good as you would think that they would. No, um, you know, and so. Uh, so they certainly have a chance. They've certainly been a lot of fun. I just worry about where they're trending at this point from a defensive perspective because I keep waiting for them to get better. And, I mean, you know, they did win that Bills game, but, I mean, you got to put a cap on the Bills a little bit at Oof. some point. Yeah, and, yeah you got to put something on the Bills at some point. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so looking at the advance, I, I, I have football outsiders up for the for the Bills segment, but the Raiders are – their team defense is at, their team defensive DVOA is at 22, which is uh, one below the Bills, and the Bills offense is a dumpster fire. The Bills defense is a dumpster fire. I'm sorry. The Raiders offense is the fourth best offensive DVOA in the league, and Derek Carr is ranked fourth among quarterbacks behind Dak Prescott, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan. Um, so yeah, they're they're definitely offensive offensive oriented. But the frustrating thing with the Bills is. Um, like the, the 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 big talk in town is now ar- around the team is um, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it's still Tyrod Taylor. It's still because next year they 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 have an option to pick up his long term deal. I think he's owed like if they pick him up for next year, he's owed like twenty seven million. Uh, and 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 whether whether they keep him or not. And like, look, this team is horribly deeply flawed. Like I said, their team de- their defensive DVOA is twenty one. Um, you know, they got, they got torched, you know, just watch that game last week. They get torched. They got torched by Ryan Fitzpatrick, for Christ's sake, this year. And nobody's getting, Ryan Fitzpatrick's not even playing anymore this year. Um, but then you look at, you know, the other, the other problem is, I mean, offensively, they're good. LaShawn McCoy's having a great year. They're great, they're great running the, the ball. But you just have, you look at Taylor, and Taylor, I'm, I'm again, I'm at a football outsiders. He's 24th out of 32 quarterbacks right now. And, they 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 get down twenty four nine. They give up a touchdown. They go three and out. He he's missing throws. He's not he's not hitting. He's he's not making. It, it's funny. He's like he's like the you you watch you, I watch that game and like to do the the horrible thing we all do where he, like the eye test and like he just doesn't feel like a franchise guy. He doesn't feel it doesn't feel like he has that you know whatever quality he is. And then I go to I went to Football Outsiders because I wanted to see like am I missing are the numbers showing are, are there, is there something in the numbers that I'm not seeing? And like the big thing around around in the Buffalo area media is pointing out that Taylor's never thrown for 300 yards in a game, which is a meaningless benchmark. It doesn't I don't care. Like that, that, that's kind of a meaningless stat, but you know, you just look at, you know, at, at the advanced numbers and he's not, not that good. Not that same. I mean, and he's 14th in the ESPN QBR rankings. He's got a 65.6 ranking, but you know, the, 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 the problem the bills face, I, I, I looked up, I was doing some research this week cause I don't have enough to do with my life, but I was doing some research on the bills records and in their playoff drought of 16 years, They've had 13 years where they've gone either six and ten. They've gone between six and ten and nine and seven. Thirteen. So 13 of their playoff six playoff for years have been kind of within two game, one to two games of eight and eight. And that's just death. Like the Bills have not sucked for 16 years. They've just it's been an era of complete meh football. And that's such a frustrating place to be in as a fan, and it's got to be as an organization. It's really dangerous, I think, for an organization because you're at a point where you can easily say they're like they're always missing the playoffs by like two, three games. Like 
You know, you right. figure ten and six is where you want to get to get to the playoffs. If they're around seven and nine, eight and eight in that realm, like okay, two three games, they can make it. And it's always like, all right, if we just get the shore up the defense a little, like it's so seductive to be like, we just need to do one little thing to get us over the hump and get us back into the playoffs. And I just don't see that with this team. This team, I don't know what you know. I don't, I don't think Tyrod Taylor is the answer. But then you get to the point of. Who do you bring in? I mean, do you draft somebody and start them new? I mean, their most success they've had is with Drew Brees, not Drew Brees, Drew Bledsoe and Kyle Orton. You know, the the retreads who who are just good enough. I have some unpleasant news for you. Um, (laughs) I I think that you're you're concentrating on the wrong things. Okay. So here's – now, I – I have become uh, very familiar with the Bills, both through podcasting with you and through my longtime friendship with Pat Walsh, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, once worked for the team. Right. And if there's one thing I think I've learned between that and reading Bill's message boards, I'm very fascinated by the Bills. The Bills may be the most, the, the most unique American sports franchise that there is right now. Interesting. Uh, I mean, in, in terms of... In terms of like, because I mean, they're 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 very much a local franchise. They don't have a lot of national play. They're very very important to the local area that they're in. They have a very I hate the term blue collar. They have a very um, they have a very uh, there's not a good terminology for this, but they the there's a there's very much a culture all of its own surrounding Bill's fandom. Right. Um, and, and I find it, I find it fascinating. I really do. Um, I think the problem for the Bills, the reason that they're not good is not Tyrod Taylor. It's not, you know, this draft pick or that draft pick. It's the organization. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, certainly the long term uh, and, and rapidly, uh, you know, descending into senile ownership of of the prior regime didn't help matters much, and that's a difficult thing. I mean, you know, it, to me, mm-hmm. to some degree, the Bills of the of the aughts, very similar to the Blackhawks in hockey from like the 1970s hmm. until the death of of Bill Wirtz, uh, who was a terrible owner, um, but who was set in his ways as a terrible owner. Now. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily, you know, go out of the way uh, to to call Ralph Wilson a terrible owner, but I do think that from a, a management perspective, he's kind of like Al Davis in the last decade that he owned the Raiders, in that right. uh, his ideas about how to run a franchise were were pretty much centered around cronyism and um, uh, you know, a kind of a protectionism. It allowed a lot of political activities within the organization mm-hmm. to take hold. And that became the dominant thing. And so uh, to me, if you're going to make the bills good in the future, you got to literally like the, the, is it Pegula or Pegula? I've never Pegula. Heard, no, Pegula. The, the Pegula family had literally, they, they have to just go in and fire everybody, right. everybody that works for the team, everybody that coaches for the team, every, every scout, like they, they literally, they're literally going to need to have to start, the franchise from the ground up. It needs an, a, just a complete reboot. And that's frightening for any franchise because, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to fire our GM or we're going to fire right. our head of scouting or, or our head of player de- development. It's another thing to say, we got to fire you all. But I think that's really what has to happen mm-hmm. here because the, the Bills, uh, I think about this a lot with like IU basketball. Like IU basketball used to be great and now it's good mm-hmm. but it's not great and and i look at the big 10 in basketball and like wisconsin's great like they're always competing for final fours michigan state's great they've kind of taken the mantle right and, and if you think about it the, the bills ceased being great right around the same time that the patriots started becoming great yep and, and that started and most people think oh belichick well no what started the patriots being great was, uh, you know, that Dick McPherson era and Victor Kaim and all that, right. and the Patriots are just kind of this bumbling organization. And and that opportunity allowed Bill Parcells to come in and clean house and build the f- franchise from the ground up, basically. Right. And that foundation, you know, the you know, even, you know, even with Pete Carroll there for a couple of years, that foundation has led to this immense 
sustained success that the Patriots have had, and it's what the Bills are lacking. And I, go ahead. No, I I, I I completely agree. And one of the criticisms of the Pagula ownership, and with this because they own the Sabers too, is that their first run is they uh, they they kind of leave it. They they kind of they're, they're slow, very slow to make the big changes in um, in GM in player development and player scouting departments and and it cost them i mean the sabers bottomed out the saber i mean i i think the sabers are kind of on the right path when i mean they 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 did the they they tanked a few years ago um they got to, to be able to get uh eichel in the Mc, in the mcdavid eichel draft and you know eichel's fan, a fantastic player just coming back from injury and they're starting to to they bottomed out and are starting to slowly rebuild and a lot of that was getting a guy like tim murray who's their gm who's a very good GM, but I think you're right. I think it, it is kind of an, such an organizational top to bottom issue. And look, you know, the Pagulas are going to be revered. Their, their honeymoon period is not forever, but it's pretty long here because let's face it, the team exists in Buffalo because Terry Pagula bought them. Although it could have been Donald Trump. Sorry about that, America. But um, <laughs> um, but I, I, so so it would have been, been great watching his kids like take over the Bills and and the Bills getting presidential favors. <laughs> I mean, because I, I know I know you, I know your politics, I know how much this Trump thing is bothering you, and yet I could see already the challenge that you would have to face in the Bills succeeding solely because of presidential nepotism. And and you not knowing how to deal with it. Oh, I know how to deal with that. That's that's celebration. I mean, all's fair in love and football. Um, make the bills great again. Um, so we've got some. We've got some. Uh, we we, we got to hit some. Of I do want to say pictures. one thing real quick on the Sabers. Okay. Um, you say, oh, they've bottomed out and they're on the right track. I mean, right now they still they stink. Are, oh, they still they stink. Stink. And they've finished in the last three years. They've finished. Dead last in the Atlantic. DFL. Dead last in the Atlantic. DFL. And second to last. Right. In the Atlantic. I mean, right. I, I don't. Well, the, well okay. It's okay. not that hard to build yourself into an eight seed in the NHL. It shouldn't take four years. Well, to okay. Do that. I don't. I don't. So the, the first DFL was still under the Darcy Regeer era. The, the second DFL, the middle DFL in there was the, the year they tanked. It was the McDavid Eichel draft, so they were they were they they were they were tanking to get one of the top two picks, um, and so last year they were a little better. This year they're they're the the best laid plans go go belly up when your star player gets hurt. So uh, they just got Jack Eichel back from it, who's been missed the first twenty four games with an injury. And they, I mean, they're not going to be like like I, mean, I think it's a slow road. Like they don't have a goalie, but I, I, Columbus, I, I Columbus but, is in a playoff position. But right I, now. at least, but at least I feel like the Sabers that at least they have a plan and got some talent and are tr you know I, I I feel like if they're not trending upwards, they at least finally have the car for a torture metaphor. Edmonton. At least. The Edmonton Oilers are leading the Pacific Division right now. Well, they got the good play because they won the lottery that year, so they get McDavid. I, I, I don't think, I don't feel like the Sabres' future is as hopeless as the Bills' future. At least the Sabres okay. have a bit of a future. I don't feel the Bills. I just feel like they're going to keep spinning in circles unless they do like this complete organizational reboot or you know do something drastic or get lucky because they're just stuck in this little. Six and ten to seven and nine era every year. I'd rather have a crappy team year to year than, uh, than it, with, with promise than you know, staring at staring at me at Matt football for another four years. Um, yeah, I, th I just think you got to blow it up. I mean, you just you just do. do. I mean, it's yeah. it's because unfortunately, I just I, I look at that and I don't think that the Bills organization is set up to allow them to hire a transformational figure no uh and that's that's a real shame because i think i don't think the bills are destined to being a, you know a mediocre team any more than any other team in the nfl is and it's amazing to me how how easy it can be to fix your team if you just hire the right people and right. how how many people in positions of management and in, in sports are just incapable of doing that right so, um, kind of sticking with with uh, football for this, it was Eric Esterline tweeted at, at, at you at us specifically at you. Want us to to fix the length of college and NFL games? Find myself watching more soccer and basketball because of the time investment. Um, this has always been 
you know, one of the great things about college basketball and about soccer is you can almost set your watch by two-hour basketball game, about two hours for a soccer game, hour and a half, two hours for a soccer game. You know, you know, you know, you're what you're kind of in for, as opposed to kind of like the kind of. And, and I feel like for me, the length of football games is a thing, but it's also the pace of them. You know, I can speak more to NFL than college, but it just seems like it's not an exciting three, three and a half hours. It's a whole lot of kick commercial, three and out punt, kick, fair catch commercial. I don't know. It's it's more of a pace issue, pacing issue of the game than a length of game. What about you? I think it's different between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, look, I, I on the college level, it's it's still, I think the pacing of college football is fairly good. I think the problems in college football come with the um, the style of play that you'll get. I mean, I think a lot of, what we've seen in college football over the course of the last decade is the proliferation of these spread offenses, which mm-hmm. can be exciting, but they, they have two unfortunate byproducts. One is that they do cause a lot more stoppages of the clock, and two, uh, there's more scoring, which means more kickoffs, which means kind of a slower – you're not running the ball uh, as much. Mm-hmm. and And that does – it, it's had a it's had a creeping effect on the overall length of time that people have to watch the games. I do think that that's a bit of an issue, but I don't think there's a good way to legislate that out. And you know, college football actually moves fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some of the nationally televised games there's a few too commercial, a few too many commercials. But I mean, the clock runs in college football pretty much the whole time. I mean, there's mm-hmm. only it's only like right at the end of the game where they'll start stopping the clock, even when it goes out of bounds. You know, right. I mean. Um, so I don't know what you could do on a college level. Uh, I just think that I, I don't see the games getting much longer than they currently are. Pro okay. football is a different story. Pro football is almost entirely due to two things. One is just the ridiculous amount of ads. You don't need score, timeout for television commercials, come back, kick it off, another timeout for commercials, right. and then we go and play. Like, that's just dumb. Right. Uh you know, one of those timeout breaks should be out of there. The other thing, though, and this is, I think, the bigger issue, is the NFL is just over-legislated. We've talked about this many times on the podcast about mm-hmm. kind of one of the one of the unspoken factors of why football is turning a lot of people off. There's just so many stoppages of play for, for replays, for conferences, for discussion on things. There's such a... The, we, We've engineered a lack of decisiveness into the game of professional football, and it's it's made it a less enjoyable sport as a result of it. So I think if you're going to fix football from that perspective, you you have to insert more decisiveness into the process, and, and that's easier said than done because we also want to have replays and we want to you know we, we want to make sure that we're getting calls right. But we're if you're sacrificing the the consumability of the sport for the accuracy of calls, then that's probably not the right sacrifice to be making. Right, and I feel like, you know, the the, the evolution of replay would be, a, a you know, aside from the ads, but the evolution of replay would be a solid way to do that, where more judgments and replays can be done on the fly rather than having to physically stop a game and have a, the, the ref go and look at it and, and do this kind of long kabuki review of it. I feel like there a lot, if there can be more streamlined process of of replay for most calls then i think that could speed it up as well um so we have two questions on esports from patrick walsh and matt zimmerman pat walsh asking esports as a collegiate sport and matt zimmerman asking about esports in the olympics um esports are of course uh for lack of a better phrase it's video games as kind of competitive sport um, to maybe p- perhaps oversimplify it, but I don't think I am. So collegiate sports and or Olympics for esports, you in? I'm totally in. I actually I love esports. I love watching esports. I am not good enough to play esports. There's a significant talent requirement for esports, and it's interesting if you if you follow esports, and I I wouldn't pretend to to claim that I follow them that closely, but if you follow them. Uh, um, just even moderately, what you realize is that there's uh, there's kind of a short window to be like really good at esports, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of not just because of the reflexes that are required, but because the designers of the games tend to, you know, with each update, they tend to change aspects of the game, right? Which can take a gr- 
great player under one particular method and turn them into an average player because they, they can't adapt to the changes. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that eSports has a much better short-term chance of becoming an Olympic sport than it does becoming a college sport. And I say that for this reason. The Olympics, you know, they they are there more or less to recognize the, you know, things that have a broad international base of interest and support. And they also have sports that, you know, frankly are more reactionary than anything else. Like, I don't see how, how you could make an argument that, Esports are not a sport, but like fencing is. Like, what the mm-hmm. hell is the difference? Like, is the difference between using your thumbs and using a, a sword? Well, I mean, there's not significantly that much difference. I mean, that's not athleticism, you know, necessarily. That's 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 distinguishing those two things. And so, um, or, or, or rifle or something like that. Like, how is how is mm-hmm. shooting different than playing video games? Uh, you know, it's all reaction at that point. It's just a matter of what you're reacting to. Too. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a definite uh, possibility for esports as an Olympic sport. College is a, is a tougher nut to crack. There is a thriving underground scene with uh, with with maybe underground putting it too too uh, conspiratorially. There, there's certainly a scene for not a, co- a community competition. Yeah. Yes, and and there's you know they they fill arenas with with the championships of these sports. It's really cool watching them play problem that we run into is that athletic departments are so far gone on this idea that they are promoting like athletic competition as molders of of better leaders of tomorrow there's no way that their psyche could handle a bunch of kids sitting in front of a gaming console playing games as somehow molding the leaders of tomorrow right um and and it's a shame because uh, you know there's there's a, there's a certainly there's a competitive aspect, there's a spectatorship aspect that fits right into the ethos of college sports. But the people who you know have decided that they are charting the course of, of American society would, would would have a cow right. if there was esports at the college varsity level. And I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. Not because it shouldn't, but because it won't. I mean, that's almost reason enough to cheer for it to happen, is to just make the the uh, kind of college sports power structure have a collective, oh, yeah. going to go to a collective uh, a hissy fit over. I think that'd be great. So the the Olympic aspect of it kind of lets us in. I think it can be our last topic for tonight. We can table the Redskins, Redsons, uh, Red Sox, Yankees question from my friend Jared until next week. Um, but this comes from your lovely wife. Uh, posted it on my Facebook wall and brought a uh, brought about a uh, panda face palm from you as a response to it. And I'm just going to read the headline. This is from the lovely uh, lovely Katie Metzclavio. Cheerleading and Muay Thai granted provisional recognition as Olympic sports. Uh, cheer, competitive cheerleading and Muay Thai, which uh, Wikipedia, which is never wrong, tells me is a combat sport of Thailand that uses stand-up striking along with various clinching techniques. So it's a it's a, a form of martial arts. Um, so which one? So which one of these is your wife uh, needling you about? Is it the cheerleading or the Muay Thai? It's not the Muay Thai. Not the it's, Muay Thai. No, I mean the Muay Thai. I mean if you. To have all of these martial arts uh, that they've got in the Olympics, you know, why not have another? It's just, one? It's just I mean, super fun to say too. I mean, I hope I'm pronouncing it, it correctly, but if that's how you pronounce it, that's amazing. I want to cover Muay Thai yeah, just mean, so I can say it five times a day. Um, I mean, well, I mean, if it's in the Olympics, that's that's an avenue for you. There obviously. you go. So, uh, I, I, the cheerleading thing. I mean, look, I, I, I've talked about this many times before. Um, cheerleading is certainly an athletic endeavor. Ever. Mm-hmm. To classify it as a competitive sport requires that you take um, something that is an athletic endeavor and turn it into a subjectively judged thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of subjective judging in sports, period. That, and I that, really... That's a constant. We've talked about figure skating on here in the yes. past as, a, as something that but, you're. And, 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 you know, I, and I think I, I think figure skating and you know uh, even I mean th- there's there's lines here like you know for so diving is subjectively judged but not really because it's it's 
there's there's a there's a degree of difficulty aspect to it, and there's certain things that the person has to do that can be evaluated on tape. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the way that diving is is uh, you know judged, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. But, but but thing you know, and even with figure skating, there's certain things that you can do uh, because it's one person doing it, um, or two people, I guess, doing it. But with cheerleading, it's always squads competing against squads, mm-hmm. and and then there's judging based upon that, and and I just. I don't see the point. Like I, I think that it's it's far too much of a contrivance to take cheer routines, which aren't really cheer routines. They're basically like kind of gymnastics routines with pom poms, and 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 turn that into an an environment that is being placed, you know, in in into a judging moment that you know the that the world is basically uh, competing with each other on. Mm-hmm. I don't see. I don't see why that would raise, why that's raised to the level of competitive sport, and something else wouldn't be in its stead. Something that's more objective in the way that it's done. I mean, it is interesting that they got rid of softball as a as, as a competitive sport in the Olympics, um, and they are, are are adding competitive or all quote all star cheerleading. Um, I'm quoting from the BBC article that she quoted because this is wonderful. Competitive or all-star cheerleading is very different to what you see at American football or basketball. Teams are judged on gymnastic tumbles, dance, stunts, pyramids, and overall impression and compete against other squads of similar ability. Last quote, last paragraph of this, of this article. It is daring, exhilarating, physically demanding, and at times the most dangerous sporting discipline for young women. Okay. <laughs> so wait, and this is what I love. You know, we're on this, we're on this kick in sports where it's like, Oh, this is dangerous. We shouldn't have people do it. Uh, right. you know, football is dangerous. People, people are damaging their brains. We shouldn't have them do it. But one of the, one of the positive things that's brought up about cheering, uh, right. at the Olympic level was it's possibly the most dangerous athletic event for women. Then damn it. For God's <laughs> sake, don't promote it at the international level. I mean, that's like, do we, do we really want it? We're Okay. Hey, look! This girl broke her neck in you know in in Rio doing this. No, I mean, just like, what's the point? You you are the Patrick Ruby of uh, of cheerleading of cheerleading coverage. This is fun. This is a, this is a hill I'm happy to die on. <laughs> frankly, I mean, I I see I see very little. Like, I who's asking for this? I don't. I, like, really yeah. like where where is this movement coming from that we need? competitive cheerleading in the olympics well the international cheer union icu that's funny that it's icu um that's the second best best use of that when you have to compete with with the other icu for your acronym maybe you need a new one but anyway the icu has more than 100 national federations and nearly 4.5 million registered athletes so that's who's clamoring for the icu is clamoring for it in more ways than one, because it's dangerous. Um, so, uh, so, but Muay Thai just sounds cool. So we're gonna do that. Um, is, that so, is that your is that your whole is that your thing? Muay Thai. Oh, I, I want no no. Mine? Oh, this has a cool name. Therefore, I want to make it an Olympic sport. I I'm, mean, I mean, look, we renamed. Yeah, sure. We re, I mean, could we you rename a sport? I don't know. I mean, I it's. Can, can, can you think of a can you think of I don't know what, you've seen some of the sports that are in the, in, in the Olympics can you put something in because it's got a cool name I, well, I, I see nothing like, I see I see nothing okay, so I see nothing I think what we should do we need to draft a sport that's not in the Olympics that would be if it had a cooler name I'm going to nominate croquet I'm going to nom- nominate atlatls do you know what an atlatl is I have no idea what an atlatl. I, I learned. So I learned. So I learned this today. Um, an atlatl is a. It's a. It's an ancient, ancient contra- thing that used to be used to help people throw spears. So you know, like the uh, the tennis ball thing that you, that you that you put the ball in to throw to dogs so they can so they can really run at it. Right. It's kind of like that, but for spears. Um, and there are actually atlatl throwing competitions, and mostly I just love saying the word atlatl so much that I think atlatl and Muay Thai should both be in the Olympics because of that. 
Because they, they bring joy. Saying that, saying the word Muay Thai brings you joy. Saying the words Adelaide bring you joy. And I think that that's what we need in sports, especially in our modern alt-right culture. We need more. We need more joy. We need more Adelaide. Well, we don't need more Adelaide with the alt-right. With the with, with the alt-right, that's for sure. But maybe we all need to learn Muay Thai. That will help us. Why don't we just bring Highlight back? Oh, that's fine. I'm for that. I mean, that's. I mean, it just. I don't yes. know. It's. I, I still think they put golf about, in the Olympics for crying out loud. What would you rather have in the Olympics, golf or Muay Thai or highlight? Why do we? Here's a bigger question: Why do we limit the number of Olympic sports? Like, what what does that accomplish? Like uh, if, hotel room? I don't know. The number of, number of hotel rooms Putin has to make people build? I don't know. Well, but I mean, in all seriousness, it's like, oh, you know, softball is not an Olympic sport this year. I mean, why? Like, what? What? What good does it do to say, "Oh, you're not an Olympic sport this year"? I, I don't. I've never. I've never understood the mentality behind that. If it's about, oh, we don't want to build venues. Okay, let that be the determinant. But right. if a if a if a if a host city wants to build all of the venues or has the venues available, why not go ahead and just let whatever uh, in in for that particular Olympics? I'm I'm for it. Free form. I, you know the the yeah. The Olympics, it's so funny, the Olympics, because in reality, like, what do we watch? Track and field, swimming, gymnastics, maybe basketball. Like, that's yeah. what most people actually watch. And then there's all these other sports, which have wonderful stories. But, you know, if a Muay Thai falls in the woods, would, would, no, okay, I, I can't even do it anymore. So, <laughs> but I think we have, um, I think, I mean, we, we, we've certainly fixed college football. We fixed the bills. We're fixing the Olympics. We've done a lot of good today. So, um, you got me to yell a lot. That was we a did. Always, always, always a good thing. So yes, next week is our season three finale. We'll probably talk Christmas. Um, if you have any topics you want us to, uh, touch on, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, flipside pod is the hashtag. Um, any final thoughts? My final thoughts are uh, that we really, really need to keep competitive cheerleading out of the Olympics. Other than that, I have nothing. All right, that's the hill. Hill Gallon's going to die on. I and, told you, I'm, I'm on. I'm on board with that. And I, and, I, and, and, and I support your decision on that. I will be at the bottom of the hill Thank watching you. this happen. So. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, enjoyed it as always. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Be sure to listen in uh, next week. Final episode of the season next week? Final episode of the season finale, yep. Yeah. So we will uh, look forward to bringing you that, and we look forward to a a pleasant week in the meantime. But uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. This has been The Flip Side, and we will catch you on The Flip Side. So long, everybody. See ya.